We're in the book of Nehemiah and uh, finding a gold mine of application for our lives. Those things from the book of Nehemiah that can make a huge difference for us if we make application of them. Just knowing them doesn't necessarily do much for us. But um, and, and we'll end with this. When I read the Word of God, when I pray to God, and when I obey what I hear, that's when life has its fullest. That's when life counts. That's when I make a difference as far as God is concerned. Read with me, if you will, from this text. Mm-hmm. Click it for me, will you? Uh, where should I aim? Hey, look at that. Did you do that or did I? Okay. Nehemiah 1, we're going to read 4 through 11. Please follow along and try and absorb as much as you can. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandment, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. What man, you ask? Well, that man was Cyrus, king of Persia, sometimes referred to as Cyrus the Great, as uh, Riley so well uh, instructed us last week. This was a, a potentate of incredible power. He had dominion over a huge territory. I'll show you a picture of that in a little bit. And it was no small thing then to have an audience with this man. So in his prayer, Nehemiah is appealing to or calling upon this great God, the sovereign God of the universe, to meet the need of His people, which has to be authorized, has to be approved by this Cyrus, uh, king of Persia. He understands, Nehemiah understands, that this is no small thing that he's about to do. That he is 
really stepping into a realm where he has no business being. And uh, he understands that he is in deep need of some serious help. Question. Have you ever stepped into territory that was way over your head? Have you ever tried to accomplish something or be involved in something that was impossible from your perspective? If, that, if that's the case, then you have some idea of what Nehemiah was going through. Now, I want you to be real this morning. I want you to understand that um, we know that all of us are involved in, in that kind of living. There's nobody in this room that is capable of handling the things that life brings them. And so we need to learn from Nehemiah how to handle those, those enormous things that, that life will, will bring to us. Um, and, and I think that we'll gain some insight as we look into the way he prayed. Hopefully, the way he prayed will become a bit of a model for us as our prayer is concerned. You remember in, in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. We need to understand how to pray. Very interesting that there are some distinct parallels between the way Nehemiah prayed and the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Not surprising. Uh, we shouldn't uh, be amazed that God is consistent. But um, <clears throat> it's kind of a neat thing to understand that, that there's a pattern, a, a procedure, if you will, for prayer that we can be aware of and that we can practice. And when we do we can uh, tap into the great power of God that uh, prayer brings. We started um, the first slide. I don't know if you caught it or remember it, but uh, it said something about prayer being the necessity for action. Prayer being the necessity for action. I don't real often live my life that way. Um... I'm kind of a kind of a control freak. Now, I don't know if anybody here can relate, uh, but I like to be able to see things, the big picture. I don't get into the intimate details. That's Ethan's job. But the big picture I see, and I like to say, okay, here's where we are, here's where we're going, and kind of logically and carefully plot out the steps. This past week has been terrifying to me. This past week, as I've, as I've walked, literally as I've walked, I felt an enormous weight hit me to the extent that I just had to sit down. Not a physical thing, but an emotional thing. And just realize that I am over my head. I am absolutely out of control. That only God can make any sense out of where I'm headed. I'm not telling you this to make you feel sorry for me or to say, oh, poor love. No, not, that's not the point. The point is, once in a while, I catch a glimpse of the way I'm supposed to live. I catch a glimpse of, of what reality is all about. You are not in control. You do not call the shot. And when we think we do, we're really 
being anti-God. Because the Word of God teaches us very clearly that it's our responsibility before God to, number one, submit to Him, to trust in Him, to allow Him to have His way. What are some of the things that I fear? Some of the things I fear are that I won't be able to provide for my family. That I won't be able to uh, meet the needs of people in my local church. And the list can go on and on and on. And and right away it should come to your mind and say, you know what, Lev? You never did have a shot at that. I don't know why you thought you did, but it was never under your control. Number one, those kids that you're concerned about, those kids that you want to have a, a, a prosperous life and a, a, a life of, um, of joy and submission to God, those kids aren't your kids. That house that you think you own so that you can provide a shelter for your family, that's not your house. That car you drive, not your car. And we have to understand that we are totally dependent on the living God for our sustenance, for our help, for our strength, for all that we are, for all that we want to do, for all that we want to become. We are absolutely dependent on Him. Now, even as I say those words, there's something in my mind saying, yeah, but you, yeah, but yeah, you been there? The yabbits. Um, if they were like rabbits, they would be everywhere. You know, they would multiply like crazy. I got a million yabbits in my life. And yabbits and God don't go together. Okay? And I've got to learn to deal with that. Nehemiah seemed to understand that. He wasn't making the excuses. He wasn't saying, well, yeah, but he was saying, I will depend on you. And it's as though the sooner we learn that, the better off we're going to be. Now, I'm well advanced in years, right? You would think that after being a Christian for 50, uh, almost 55 years, that I'd have figured this out somewhere around year 30. Okay? I had a glimpse of it at year 30, and then kind of got back into the leadership thing again. Had a glimpse of it at age 45 and so on. Wow. How many times do I have to learn this lesson? How many times do I have to go back to being utterly dependent on my God? Well, there's a day coming, I can promise you, when I will be living that way. Okay? There's going to be a shout. There's going to be a trumpet blast. And I will become a totally dependent person on the living God. Is that cool or what? I'm looking forward to that day. But if I could somehow avoid the pain and the suffering and the pitfall of trying to run it my own way between now and then, my life would be pleasing to God, would be pleasing to me, and would be pleasing to you. 
We've got to get there. And I need your help. Where's Brad? I got an email from you. Didn't I? Saying that you were going to help me. Did you send it to the wrong person? He's going to send me some protection for my electronic devices. That was for KT. Okay, my name is... No. (laughs) Yeah. Send it. Bring it. I need your help. Okay? I need James to be calling me regularly and saying, Liv, when are we going to get together? When are we going to pray? When are we going to have discipleship together? I need you to live the kind of life that God wants me to live. And, and here's the sad thing. You kind of need me too. We've talked about Band of Brothers before. I don't want to get off on that. But, but really, it's so true. It's so true that we have to have, number one, the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed in our lives by obedience to the Word of God and prayer. And we have to have the fellowship of one another. Scripture calls it the fellowship of the saints. And we must have that so we can depend on one another. Well, a um, little bit, a little bit of introduction, all with the view to saying, let's try to put some of this into practice as we understand what Nehemiah is talking about as far as his prayer life was concerned. Connor, can you click it for me? Okay. The pattern seems to be this. Nehemiah began his prayer with an expression of God's greatness. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. A couple, three clicks, if you would. He calls Him the God of heaven. The God of heaven. Recognizing His supremacy. Recognizing His superiority. He calls Him the covenant keeper. Recognizing the faithfulness of God. The steadfastness of God. And he calls him that steadfast lover. How many of you have the daily devotional called Jesus Calling? Jesus Calling. Anybody? Sandy? Okay. Get it. Get it. If you don't have it. Um, Very valuable. Over and over and over again, the message that I hear in the devotional book, Jesus Calling, is you have to depend on the steadfast lover of your soul. His love is so incredibly great that it has a keeping power that you must have in order to function in this world. It goes on and on. And so Nehemiah stops and says, I want to talk to this God and I want to recognize who He is. I'm going to open it up to you. I want some suggestions here. What are some of the things that, that you have recognized about God that are so wonderful and so awe-inspiring that they can actually give you confidence to pray in Him? What are some of the names or qualities about God? Help me. Shout them out. Let's hear them. <coughs> what do you know about God? What? Sovereign. What does that mean? Who said that? Where did that come from? Tim? Is that you? You don't want to admit it, huh? Sovereign. 
absolute control. Is that a fair definition? <coughs> Not bad. Okay. What else do you know about this God, this great God that you can use at the start of your prayers, not as a, not as a, a formula, but as an, an awareness of who it is to whom you're speaking? What else? Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, Riley. Great physician. physician. If there's one spiritual gift that I really, really covet, it's I would love to be a healer. Maybe I'd use it for myself and, and make a name for myself and so that's why God hasn't given it to me. But wouldn't it be a blessing to be able to heal people? Well, Jesus is the great physician. He can heal. Wow. Thanks, Riley. Somebody else, quickly? Omnipotent. Omnipotent. And what does that mean? You buying that one? Okay, then how come you depend on yourself so much? If he's really all-powerful. And I'm talking to Lev here. You don't have. You can listen if you want, but I'm talking to Lev. Yeah. Well... <clears throat> anybody uh, go for a drive yesterday or take a walk yesterday and see what's happening to the trees around us? Not too shabby out there, is it? Two weeks early. Brilliant color. Beautiful. Where's that coming from? Well, it's an evolutionary process. that you know, The creator of the world painted that picture for you to enjoy so that you would be dependent on Him and say, okay, I acknowledge your greatness. Over and over again, we have opportunity to express to God His greatness. Now, by far and away, the best source of information about who God is is here in the book. And so as we read this book, maybe you jot down a few of those things that you learn about God that will help you to be more and more dependent on Him. Let's go to the next slide. What we're trying to do is to really put things in perspective as we begin our prayer. What we need to do is to come with an attitude that is right before God. And I see at least these three words, humility, gratefulness. Did I spell gratefulness right? Close anyway. Submission. Let me read some verses that uh, might be a help. As far as humility is concerned, James says, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Okay? Humble ourselves before the Lord. My refusal to depend on God 
is an act of enormous pride. It's a, it's a, a spit, if you will, in the face of Almighty God. So if I refuse to humble myself before Him, I'm actually in opposition, or He's in opposition to me. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to be there. I want God on my side. I want God there supporting and strengthening me. That next one, gratefulness. The Scripture says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known. Reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians. Thessalonians. Where is that? Thessalonians, I'm sorry. And then submission. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The reason we submit is that it does something to exalt the person of Christ. We don't submit just because that person is the authority. We submit to their authority because we want to show honor and reverence to the Lord Jesus. And therefore, we have this action in our heart. Humility, gratefulness, submission. The next thing he does, next slide if you would. He clears things up with God. And he isn't real specific here, but obviously he knew those things that he was referring to as far as sin were concerned. His sin, his father's sin, the people's sin. Very important. Where he says, Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. In this, in this uh, act of confession, underlying it is the wonderful theme of mercy and grace that we've already discussed this morning. We read in 1 John that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Faithful to forgive. He will always be there with a forgiving heart. Just in doing so. He's not playing games. He's not overlooking things. Absolutely righteous in forgiving me my sin because Jesus paid it all. And then another thing that... You want to click it? Another thing that... Nehemiah does in his um, teaching us about how to pray is that he uses some of this time to review the promises that God has made. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost part of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. One of thousands of promises that the Jewish people have. And you go to the New Testament and there are thousands of promises that we have. Some of them matched uh, with the promises to the Jewish people. Some of them completely separate for the church. Those of us who've trusted Christ as Savior. 
and they're available to us. Well, what, what value is there in reviewing the promises? The value is <clears throat> that I bring to mind the things that are absolutely 100% sure that God is going to do, that God is going to accomplish. And I can depend on those things. I can use those things as a, a, a framework for my prayer. Um, was watching a, a YouTube by Piper last night and he said, you know, th- there are some prayers that I can absolutely guarantee you will not be answered. Totally outside of the realm of God's promises. He said, for example, let me suggest that you pray to God that Israel be wiped off the face of the earth. But that's not going to happen. Against all odds, Israel is going to be there because of the promises of God. So don't even bother praying that if you're an Islamic terrorist. I know we have any this morning? A couple, okay. Uh, don't even bother with that prayer. Ain't going to happen. There's other prayers, frivolous ones, selfish ones. Uh, maybe you've prayed a couple of them that are not part of the promise of God. Don't even go there is what Nehemiah is teaching us. But in order to pray the promises of God, in order to remind, if you will, or at least review with God His promises, I, number one, need to know them. Where am I going to get knowledge of the promises that God has for me? That's a question that needs an answer. Where am I going to get that information? Thank you. I see two Bibles go up. I have two people that... The promises of God are found in the Word of God. They're not found anywhere else. They're found in the Word of God. And I can depend on those promises. I can pray those promises. And God will answer. But I've got to know where they are. I've got to know how they're framed. I have to know the context of them so that I can use them in a way that pleases Him. So my suggestion is that we, number one, find those promises individually and then memorize those. Make those your own so you can carry them around on a moment's notice and be able to say, God, I need you to keep your promise in this situation. Memorize them. And then, I think this is thrilling, we need to be people who are consciously rethinking these promises. The idea is meditating. To take the Word of God that we've memorized and let it come back to our minds over and over and over again is when it really starts to sink in and really starts to make a difference. It's when I really get a hold of what it is that God is communicating to me. So meditate on those things. And then here's the thrilling part. Do what Nehemiah did. In fact, do what Jesus did. And review those promises with God. And in essence say, God, I am depending on Your faithfulness. I am depending on You keeping Your Word that this is what You will do. And I pray that to God. I talked to it when I started about having a horrible experience this week in prayer. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I think I did everything the way I was supposed to do it. And when God answered the prayer, it was this great, big, resounding no. It was terrible. It was horrible. 
God said no. Only partially. Because in my prayer I said, God, I want You to receive the glory. I want You to have Your name honored and held high. But the way I wanted that done is obviously not the way God wants it done. And I need to be willing to say, yes, Lord. Didn't quite have the first part right. I hear you say no. But I'm standing on the second part that I want your name honored. I want you to be glorified. And it probably means that there's going to be some, some pain, some suffering. But I still want his name to be glorified. And his promise is, that He will glorify His name. My circumstances, not terribly important in the big scheme of things. Seems real important to me. But what's really important is that God be honored, that God be glorified. And it may take some pain, it may take some suffering, it may take some real trial but His name must be glorified. Now, I'm bringing all kinds of trouble on myself by saying these things out loud, aren't I? And in the middle of the next week when I'm all upset and frustrated that God isn't doing things the way I I want Him to, you need to remind me of what I said this morning, that what's important is that His name be glorified. And it will be. Review those promises with God. And be willing to say, Your will, Father, be done. Finally, he states his request. He says, Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And the next phrase in that portion of Scripture says, Now I was cupbearer to the king. I've already mentioned that the man he was referring to was King Cyrus. Cyrus the Great. Next slide. Okay, The orange is the kingdom that Cyrus had uh, captured and conquered for himself. Uh, this is a list of some of the names of Cyrus. And uh, that's a manufactured picture of him down there. Uh, but at least it gives you something to remember. Okay. In comparison to King Cyrus, <clears throat> who was Nehemiah? Nehemiah was the cupbearer. What do you know about cupbearers? Help me out here. Cupbearers for the king. Why? Yeah, that's a great job. Oh, let me have that one. Bonk, I'm dead. King says, hey, get another cupbearer in here. I'm not going to eat that food. That's how expendable they were. That was their job. Remember in the story, of jo- story the truth of Joseph in Genesis? Um, two guys were in prison with Joseph. They both had dreams. One was a baker, one was a cupbearer. This shows you something of the authority that the Pharaoh had and and I'm assuming that this Cyrus had many hundreds of years later. What happened to the baker? Yeah. Cupbearer, he was kept on, he was promoted, hauled back out of jail and God used him in the future as far as Joseph was concerned. What about Queen Esther? When she goes into Ahasuerus, is that his name? Ahasuerus? 
What, what was her position? Queen of the land. And yet, she stood in jeopardy as she walked into this person's presence because if he said he didn't want to see her, she was dead. She was gone. Chop her head off or whatever they did. Understand that these people had some power. All right? And so as Nehemiah is going before Cyrus to make this request, he is in the position that if the king is not in favor of what he says, he's gone. And so you want to be kind of careful what you say to the king. Would you acknowledge that? Let's be a little bit careful. We'll come back to that. Next slide. When should you pray? When should you pray? Well, from the book of Thessalonians, we learn that we're to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And you know what? The only time that we're able to live this out is when we're in deep, deep need. When we recognize how deep our need is. If I think everything's going swell, I'm not praying without ceasing. Now, I need to get into a position where I recognize that every moment, every hour, every day, I'm dependent upon the living God. And I need to be praying without ceasing. But what about Nehemiah? There's some neat things here that he says. In, in chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Then the king said to me, what are, you what are you requesting? I don't know why I have trouble with that word. What are you requesting? What do you want? And here's Nehemiah's response. So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king in the same breath. Now understand that he had prayed about this for four or five months prior to making this request to the king. That's from chapter 1. That he had fasted, that he had just poured himself out before God in prayer, begging God to answer his prayer about the city of Jerusalem and the horrible situation that it was in, as Riley expressed to us last week. But now he's in a situation where he can actually appeal to this king to do something about the situation in Jerusalem. And so the king says, what do you want? And he says, I prayed to God and I said to the king. What a pattern. That's the way it needs to be. We aren't depending on our own wisdom. We aren't depending on our own eloquence. We're depending on God to give us the words, to give us the direction, to give us the, the purpose in life that, that, we, that we also desperately need. He prays in their time of need. Same thing. Chapter 2, verse 4. Let me read 4 through 6, actually. I, I'm sorry, no. I'll, I'll read that next, okay? I prayed to God and I said to the king, we need you. Recognize that need and put that into practice. And then there was a time of worship and repentance through prayer where he says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Worship, repentance through prayer. And then finally, the appropriate response to bathing yourself in the Word of God. Having a heartfelt reaction to God. Chapter 9, where he says, They stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day, 
For another quarter of it they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham, and so on. There was worship to God as they uh, were in prayer to him. So, next slide. What is our responsibility? Well, I think, I think um, this has been outlined several times, but I want to do it one more time. Number one, we need to be people who will read the Word of God daily. We need to read the Word of God in such a way that we're searching for those promises, that we're looking for those directions, and we're saying, God, I want this so I can make it real in my life, so I can make an application in my life. Now, sometimes we read the Word of God and I say, whew, there it is. That's the verse that Barb needs. Okay? You ever do that? You're reading, oh, finally, a verse for Mark Presson. Now, I need to read the Word of God as it applies to me. Let the Holy Spirit let you read the Word of God as it applies to you. Read it every day. Next. Pray every day. And as, I don't know if you remember, but there was a Sunday school song. I'll sing it for you. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Right? Not 100% accurate. What's that? You should sing. Go ahead, a couple more. Okay, you should sing. Read your Bible. Pray and obey. And you will grow, grow, grow. See, my responsibility is to respond to the Word of God. My responsibility is when God says it, I'll do it. Tough. A lot tougher to do than it is to say. That really is the essence of our responsibility. And if we can be like Nehemiah, learn that our dependence is on God and that we need to trust Him and pray to Him and allow Him to work, we're going to find that, um, that there's blessing not only for our lives, but for the lives of the entire church, entire body of Christ, and really it, it gets spread to the entire world. So let's, uh, with that, end in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, these are mere words. Words mean absolutely nothing without action. There can be um, no value in preaching unless there's application made to the truths that you are teaching us. And so I ask you again in my own life to make these things uh, powerfully real. I pray that my brothers and sisters will help me and hold me accountable. I pray, God, that we will have a loving family that holds one another together in these things and that we honor you uh, by lives that uh, are lived in submission to the holiness and power of the Word of God. And we pray that Jesus will be exalted and his name be lifted up and that he be glorified in all that we do. We pray this for our church. We pray this for us as individuals. We pray it for our families. We ask you to bless in Jesus' name. Amen.